The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 22 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two adventure episodes of Sherlock Holmes, starring Tom Conway as Holmes, with Nigel Bruce as Watson. We'll head off to 221B Baker Street after this short break. Created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the legendary violin-playing detective and his loyal companion were first heard on the air in 1930. Doyle wrote 56 short stories and four novels based on the Holmes character. Radio scriptwriter Edith Miser handled all the adaptations during the first decade, and when material was running low, the Conan Doyle estate gave her permission to create original mysteries. The stories have been dramatized so often and by so many performers in every known entertainment medium that listing them would require volumes of footnotes. Of all the Sherlock Holmes dramas broadcast on radio, however, the most popular starred Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, which ran from 1939 until 1946. To many, these fine Hollywood actors represented the quintessential Holmes and Dr. Watson. Nigel Bruce, playing a retired Watson, usually functioned as the narrator, entertaining listeners with his accounts of his adventures alongside the eccentric detective. Following Rathbone's departure from the series in 1946, Tom Conway played Holmes to Nigel Bruce's Dr. Watson. In 1947, both Conway and Bruce were replaced by John Stanley and Alfred Shirley, with Shirley replaced by Ian Martin for the 1948-49 season. Regardless of who performed the roles of Holmes and Watson, the quality of the stories remained constant. Well-crafted, atmospheric, and never sensationalized, these were good, solid mysteries, and the millions of listeners who sat back in their easy chairs, cup of hot tea or coffee in hand, thoroughly enjoyed them. Time now for the first of two detective adventures of Sherlock Holmes. In this first one, a deceptive woman tricks Holmes into giving her a vital clue of the Shrewsbury Emeralds. Here's the adventures of the stuttering ghost on the adventures of Sherlock Holmes from 1946. Cremel hair tonic and Cremel shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Now 
once again, it's time to renew our weekly visits with that genial host and incomparable storyteller, Dr. Watson. And here he is waiting for us in his comfortable and familiar study. Hello, Dr. Watson. It's mighty good to see you again. Good evening, Mr. Bell. Good gracious me, it's a long time since you last dropped in to see me. <laughs> Too long entirely, but I'm certainly glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back, my boy. This seems like old times. Thank you, sir. By the way, I heard you had quite a trip this summer. Went back to England, didn't you? Yes, Mr. Bell. I must say I had a very delightful time renewing old friendships. Incidentally, I think you'll be particularly interested in one visit that I made. It was to the vaults of Cox's Bank in Charing Cross. Cox's Bank? Oh, that was the home of your old black tin dispatch box, wasn't it? <laughs> the one that contained all the notes on your adventures with the great Sherlock Holmes? It was, my boy. You have a very good memory. And by any chance, is that the box standing there on your table it now? It certainly is. I brought it back with me. You see, I find it contained a veritable treasure trove of material. Notes on adventures that I'd forgotten... And in some cases, toys that Sherlock Holmes insists must be published during the lifetime of uh, certain uh, famous people involved. Phew, that certainly is a treasure trove. Uh, do you mind if I take a peek in the sacred box, Dr. Watson? Not at all, Mr. Bell, not at all. Hmm, musty papers, all tied up in tape. An old signet ring. Oh, that, just a token of the Duke of Bedford's esteem. Never did fit. Hey, what's this, Dr. Watson? A small dog collar. Yes, my boy, a small dog collar. And it brings to mind one of the most exciting and bizarre adventures that Sherlock Holmes and I ever encountered. I always referred to it as the adventure of the stuttering ghost. Stuttering ghost? That sounds provocative, Dr. Watson. I hope you'll find it so, Mr. Bell. In just a moment, Dr. Watson will tell us the story of the stuttering ghost. But first, I'd like to ask a question. Men... Wouldn't you like to feel that your hair always looks its best? That it always appears neat and attractive? Then let me suggest Kreml hair tonic. This famous modern hairdressing has been especially developed to keep wild, unruly hair handsomely groomed all day. Not a lock out of place. And Kreml gives the hair such a nice, rich luster, too. Yet it never, never leaves the hair feeling or looking greasy or sticky. Why not buy a bottle and prove to yourself that Kreml is tops for better groomed hair? K-R-E-M-L, Kreml hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, the floor is yours. Well, Mr. Bell, the story began on a certain September afternoon in, well, more years ago than I, than I like to admit. Holmes and I were seated in our Baker Street lodgings, having returned a few hours previously from a much-needed holiday in Devonshire. Though our trip had proved far from restful as far as I was concerned, I could see that the change had worked wonders for my old friend. There was a distinct touch of colour in his usually pale face, and I knew by the sparkle in his eye that he was happy to be back in harness, as he sat there skimming through the letters that had accumulated during his absence. Watson, has it ever occurred to you that the entire course of history might have been changed, probably for the better, if paper and ink had never been invented? Oh, rubbish. It's good to be back in Baker Street again, eh, Holmes? Mm, yes. Back to the routine of stupid letters from stupid people after two peaceful weeks at the seaside. Peaceful? And you spent most of your time solving the problem of the lifeguard, the calabash, and the dying nursemaid. Merely a routine matter, Watson. Though it did have its points of interest. Anything startling in this morning's post? The usual trivialities. The Duke of Greenock suspects the Duchess of planning to elope with the underfootman. Oh, knowing the Duke, I can't say that I blame her. Quite. Ah, 
Doesn't anyone use imagination in committing crimes anymore? Aha. This looks more promising. Huh? What is it, Holmes? Hmm. I shall present my problem to you at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. It's almost three now, and the letter's dated yesterday. It doesn't sound particularly promising to me. Who is it from? It's simply signed Ferdinand. Very odd. Holmes, it might be royalty. Only reigning monarchs sign themselves to strangers simply by their first names. If you're referring to Ferdinand of Spain, he's dead, you know. Oh, you're pulling my leg. Still, I can't recall a Ferdinand on any current European throne. Nor can I. And yet there is a certain tone of royal peremptoriness in the phrasing. Where's the front doorbell? It's exactly three o'clock. That could be him now. Yes. While Mrs. Hudson answers the door, suppose we have another look at this note. Expensive paper. Written with a quill pen. And the presumably august scribe was unfortunate enough to get a smear of ink on the outer side of her right little finger. Why do you say her right little finger? It's a woman's writing. Oh. Come in. Yes, Mrs. Hudson? You have a visitor, Mr. Holmes, and she's got a wee dog with her. She said you might be expecting her. Oh, very well, Mrs. Hudson. Show her up, please. Yes, sir. A woman and a wee dog. And here we are waiting for royalty. Watson, I've sometimes hmm? observed a distinctly snobbish strain in you. Well, Most yeah. regrettable in these democratic days. Democratic, I voted well, conservative all my life. Please, I always will vote conservative. Oh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, you dear, dear man. <laughs> oh, I've heard so much about you. Oh, I suppose you're wondering who I am. Naturally, madam. Sit down, won't you? May I introduce my friend, Dr. Watson? Oh, How do you do, How madam? How do you do? I'm Mrs. Frampton. Mrs. James Frampton. That's the Buckinghamshire Framptons, you know. And I've travelled all the way up here with darling little Fursley. Oh, and he no. does hate trains, don't you, oh, sweetheart? <laughs> By the way, Mrs. Frampton, would you mind telling me why you signed your note, Ferdinand? Why, Mr. Holmes, whatever makes you think I wrote your note? Among other things, the slight trace of an ink stain on your right little finger. Oh, oh dear. It's so simple when you explain it, isn't it? Quite. Well, since you're so clever, I did write that note. But only because Ferdinand here asked me to. What? <laughs> yes, the darling dictated it all by himself. He said... And I wrote it all down for him. What a dog writing notes. Don't you think, Mrs. Frampton, that if your dog has any problems, a veterinary surgeon would be the logical person to consult? Oh, dear, now you've upset him. He's so terribly sensitive. Dr. Watson, I wonder if you'd mind taking him out for a little walk. Who, me? Yes. I'd much rather he was out of the way when I tell Mr. Holmes about him. He's so human, you know. I'm quite sure he understands every word I say. Oh, please, Dr. Watson. Oh, really, madam, I don't Come, Watson. Can't you see the little fellow's dying for some air? I think a little walk would do you both good. It's all well. Well, come along, you little blight little fellow. Come on. And now, Mrs. Frampton, may I ask what has brought you to see me? Well, Mr. Holmes, two weeks ago, one of Ferdy's gold collars was stolen. And a week after that, he was sent back to me with a very strange note. You have the note with you? Uh, yes. Yes, it's here in my purse. Put your hands up, Mr. Holmes. Well. That's right. Do you mind pointing that revolver another way, Mrs. Frampton? I have no intention of pointing it another way. Furthermore, you'd be astonished at my skill in using it. Not at all. Oh? When a woman has the audacity to call on me with the outline of a revolver plainly visible through the side of her purse, 
I naturally assume she's able to use it. You knew I was armed, and yet you I regret to say that sometimes my curiosity overcomes my caution. And I was very curious as to the purpose of the ridiculous rules of the letter-writing dog. I still am. You'll very soon see. Go and sit in that upright chair by the desk there. Mr. Holmes, I assure you I won't hesitate to use this revolver. Go over to that chair. Very well. Sit down in it. With your back to me. That's it. I was admiring these handcuffs on your mantelpiece. They'll do very well to fasten you to the chair. Put your hands behind you. Thank you. What's the game, Mrs. Frampton? Daylight robbery? Yes. Or murder, if you don't help me. You realize that my friend is liable to come back at any moment? <laughs> oh, no, Mr. Holmes. That beastly dog was a deliberate device to separate you and your friend. A colleague of mine will see that Dr. Watson is taken care of as soon as he gets outside. And now, Mr. Holmes, I do hope you're not going to be too difficult. Come along, you stupid creature. You don't have to sniff every... Come on. Playing nursemaid to a Pekingese. Hope I don't run into anyone I know. Come along, you little brute. Come on. Excuse me, Governor. Yes, yes, yes. Have you got a match? A match? Yes, I think I have. Oh, you're an awful nice little dog, Governor. What's his name? His name? Uh, Never mind. You come here now. Why, you scoundrel, put down that piece of lead pipe. Get out of here under my feet, you nasty dog. You, uh, you would, would you? Oh, you Madam, if you'll just tell me what you're looking for, I'll be delighted to tell you where to find it. There's no sense in messing all my files up. I want your records of the Rothier case. In the third drawer of this cabinet. Oh. Well, here we are. N-O-P-Q. Randall. Rothier. Well, thank you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Ah, there's the rescue party. But it can't be Dr. Watson. Alfie was to take care of him. Dr. Watson has resources that might surprise you. Sometimes they surprise even me. Well, I, I've got what I came for. Holmes, I had the most amazing experience. Yes, I, yes, uh, you were set upon by a ruffian in the street. Fellow asked for a match and then... Uh, how, how did you know? Elementary, my dear Watson. Huh? Now, please get the key off the mantelpiece and unlock these handcuffs. Good heavens. Who trussed you up like that? Mrs. Frampton, at revolver point. You see? If you hadn't made me go out with that silly little dog, she you... She would never have revealed her purpose in coming here. Watson, the whole thing was a plot to gain access to my files on the Rothier case. I say, the Rothier case, why, that Hurry case... up with that key, will you, old chap? Yes, of course. Ah, there you are. I say, how did that woman get out? Obviously down the back stairs, as you didn't pass her on the front. I assume her accomplice got away, too. Yes, he wouldn't have if I hadn't tripped up over the dog leash. I left the silly little beast downstairs with Mrs. Hudson. Suppose we see if our caller took anything of any consequence. But, Holmes, why should anyone go to such fantastic lengths to steal the file on a criminal case that happened years ago? That's what we have to find out. You recall the Rothier affair, Watson? Yes, I could do something to do with the, the jewel robbery, was it? Yes. Rothier and his English accomplice, a gentleman known as Stuttering Steve Hacker, oh, 
stole the famous Shrewsbury Emerald. Yes, 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 of course, of course. The jewels were never recovered, but I was instrumental in bringing the men to justice. I remember it now. Rothier was killed resisting arrest, wasn't he? Yes, and stuttering Steve Hacker was sentenced to seven years in Dartmoor. By George Watson, I recall reading a small item in yesterday's paper that told of Hacker's death in prison. That's the answer. You mean that on his deathbed, Hacker might have told someone the secret of where the jewel is hidden? Precisely. And the key to that secret must lie in these files. Let me see. Yes, yes, I recall the case vividly now. Uh, there was a small piece of paper found on Rothier's body, an apparently meaningless series of numbers and figures. It was uh, here in the file. Now, she's got away with it, Watson. I deserve to be kicked from here tonight. Holmes, Holmes. Now, listen to me. I, I was going through the file a few weeks ago, making some notes for my stories, and I remember coming across that slip of paper. I copied the figures down in my notebook. Bravo, Watson. I don't know what I'd ever do oh, without thanks, you. Oh, thanks, Just a minute, just a minute. Here they are. Ah, here we are. Here are the figures. T2N302S5O. What the deuce does it mean, Holmes? I don't know, but I think I may have a glimmering. Get your coat and hat, old chap. The game's afoot. Where are we going? To Scotland Yard. And then I hope we'll be on the track of the Shrewsbury Emeralds. I say, Holmes, if you don't want to talk, you might at least tell me why we're driving about in this dreary part of London. I don't care for it at all, especially at dusk. Sorry, Watson, I was thinking. Inspector Lestrade has just informed me that he's unearthed a new clue in the case. Oh? It seems that when Rothier was hiding from the police, he worked for a time in this neighborhood. Oh, where? At a place known as Gaunt's Castle. It's somewhere here off the Mile End Road. Apparently, it's a sort of museum run by a certain eccentric man named Jezra Gaunt. Its main claim to distinction is that it contains a catacomb, or, to be precise, several catacombs. Extraordinary thing. An ideal place to hide stolen jewels, I'd say. Catacombs? Here in London? Impossible. Not at all, Watson. But I thought they were vast underground tombs only found in Italy. Now, these are reputed to be reproductions of the early catacombs of Rome. Good gracious me. Apparently, Mr. Gaunt found these deep underground caverns some years ago. And their natural contours made it possible for him to convert them into a modern counterpart of the Italian ones. All right, cabby, this is the place. Righto, Governor. There you are. Keep the change. Thank you, Governor. Come on, get up. So this is Gaunt's castle. A frightening-looking place. Like a prison. It's getting dark. Why can't we come back in the morning, Holmes? I think there's somebody watching us through the peephole in the door. Yes, there would be. Uh-huh. He's opening it. Good evening, gentlemen. You're late. I was just locking my museum up for the night. You're Mr. Jester Gaunt? Yes, sir. At your service. My name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do, Mr. Gaunt? Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson? Well, this is a great honor. Uh, please step inside, gentlemen. I'll, uh, I'll turn the gas up. There. I uh, hope you'll find the castle, as I call it, interesting. Mr. Gaunt, time is vitally important. Some three years ago, you had a man working for you as a laborer. His name was Rothier. Yeah, I can't recall any man of that name, Mr. Holmes. He was a Frenchman, Mr. Gaunt. Does that mean anything to you? Oh, I'm sorry, but in this part of London, there are many foreigners, and many of them have worked for me. But uh... This man, Rothier, was a jewel thief. 
He is known to have hidden some very valuable emeralds, and it seems quite possible he may have hidden them here. Dear me, stolen jewels in my catacombs, Mr. Holmes? Oh, no, I... I want you to give us your permission to deduct a detailed examination of your caves and to take some measurements. Ah, yes, of course. What an extraordinary coincidence. Coincidence? Yes. A man and a woman were here a little while ago. I didn't pay much attention to them as they entered, but I happened to observe them later in the catacombs. They were taking measurements. By Joe Holmes. Go on, Mr. Gaunt. When they saw I was watching them, they were very evasive and left after a few moments. Until you mentioned taking measurements, the whole incident seemed unimportant. It was far from unimportant, Mr. Gaunt. They are desperate. We must work fast. May we start our search at once? Well, of course, of course. Uh, I'll go and light the gas. Extraordinary business. Holmes, Mrs. Frampton, that accomplice who attacked me must have come here straight from Baker Street. Yes, and they'll be back, probably tonight. It's a race against time. Well, so far they apparently haven't succeeded in deciphering the code. And neither have we. Watson, it's a battle of wits. Oh, really? They won the first round. Let's hope we can win the second. Dr. Watson will continue his story in just a moment. In the meantime, I'd like to say, and just see if you don't agree with me, any man who wants that modern, prosperous appearance should certainly use a hairdressing. And men, I'm right here to tell you I wouldn't use anything else but Kreml hair tonic. Do you know why? Because Kreml is one hair tonic I've been able to find that really keeps my hair well-groomed, every hair neatly in place. Yet it never has that greasy, plastered-down look. Kreml always feels and smells so clean on your hair. In addition, Kreml does lots more than just keep hair looking handsome. It relieves itching of dry scalp. It removes dandruff flakes. Kreml actually helps condition the hair in that it leaves it feeling so much softer, easier to manage. Why not ask for an application of Kreml at your barber shop? Buy a bottle at any drug counter. Just see how attractive-looking it keeps your hair. That's right. It's spelled K-R-E-M-L. Kreml hair tonic. Well, Dr. Watson, how did you and the great Sherlock Holmes make out when you explored the underground caves? Well, that first hour, we searched that strange place exhaustively without finding a clue. Then I remember... We descended into one of the deepest and darkest caves. Must have been a weird picture as we stood there, our voices echoing hollowly. A vast black chasm yawning in front of us and a feeble flicker of gaslight throwing a pool of light on the piece of paper which Holmes held in his hand. Watson, I'm certain the figures on this paper are the clue to the missing emeralds. But why can't I get the code? T2, N3, O. S-5-O. They might be pacing directions. Obviously, but beginning where? I don't know, but 2N could be two places north. Still, how about T and uh, an O? The T being the first letter is presumably the starting point. But what does it stand for? But, of course, here's the answer. Look here on the wall. You mean that colored tablet? Yes. It's a common early Christian symbol known as St. Antony's Cross. And it's also the Greek letter T. This is our starting point. T is the first letter in this code. And then comes 2N. Let's try it. Two paces north. So. Then comes the letter O. Oh, uh, oh it, could, uh, it could mean zero. Yes, it could, old chap, or it might be... No, no, I have it. 
Remember that Rothier was a Frenchman. What's that got to do with it? The French word for West is West, spelled O-U-E-S-T. French compasses have an O where ours have the W. Two faces north, three O, three faces west. See if Gwant will lend us a spade, Watson, dear chap, will you? We're getting warm. We're getting decidedly warm. I think we've drawn a blank. So do I. Yet the code is a logical one. Two paces north, three west, two south, five wait. Wait a minute. Paces are inaccurate, Watson. They vary. A man would surely leave his records in carefully measured feet. Here's a tape measure. Why don't you try measuring it out in feet? Thanks. Now, two feet north, three west, two south, and five west would be here. Give me the spade, Watson. I'll do the digging this time. Oh, thanks very much. Holmes, if you dig any deeper, you'll come out in Australia. And yet I know we're basically on the right track. What an unmitigated idiot I am. Watson, look on the other side of this tape measure. What's on it? It's marked in meters. Rothier was French. Now we have the answer, Watson. Two meters north, three west, two south, and five west. Give him the spade again. Yeah. If I'm wrong this time, I'll retire from my profession. What's that? It's a metal box. Watson... Unless I'm very much mistaken, we've found the Shrewsbury Emerald. Great Scott! Box is a little tarnished, a little rusty, but its contents are undamaged. Look at these emeralds, Watson. Aren't they exquisite? In this gaslight, they look just like liquid jade. Quite a poet, aren't you, Dr. Watson? Oh, hello, Mr. Gold. You quite startled me. We've, uh, we've found the treasure. Oh, I'm so glad, gentlemen. You've done the hard work for us. Look out, Watson. It's a trap. Come back here, Holmes. <laughs> Drop that revolver, God. I missed your friend, Dr. Watson, but I won't miss you. Stand where you are. In any case, Mr. Holmes can't get away. Fortunately for us, he's run into a cave from which there is no exit. Gertrude, Alfie. Here we are. Did we find it, Jesuit? Yes, my dear. Clever of them, wasn't it? I doubt whether we could have solved the code without their help. You scoundrels, I wish I'd get my hands on you. I'd... Dr. Watson, surely you're in no position to threaten. The three of us are armed, and your friend can't help you. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, come out of that cave with your hands up. We've won the final round. Not while I have the emeralds, you haven't. All round him out of there, blast him. It seems to me, Dr. Watson, that Mr. Holmes is being unusually stupid today. Be careful, Holmes. What? Got me. Holmes! Holmes! Dear me, I'm afraid your friend's been injured, Doctor. For heaven's sake, let me go to him. I'm a doctor. I'm afraid I can't trust you. However, I'll tell Alfie to drag his body out here. Alfie! Never m- m- mind about Alfie. I just conked con- him one up before I shot Mr. Holmes. That voice... It's stuttering Steve Hacker. But it can't be. Steve Hacker's dead. That's what you th- think. But, but he ain't dead. I bribed the prison doctor in his kite. Remember, I'm in the d- d- dark. You can't see me, but, but I can see you. You're standing in the light. But you better, better do like I say. Dr. Watson. Yes, Hacker, w- what is it? I, I, I remember you. 
You ain't a bad sort of a text assistant. I trust you more than these rats. If you don't want me to shoot, you'd better drop your revolvers at Dr. Watson's feet. I'll trust him. Go on, drop them. You better do as he says. I think he means business. All right, hacker. Here. Now yours, Gertrude. There. Pick him up, Dr. Watson. I've got him. Splendid, Holmes. Then hand me one. But Holmes, where's Steve Hacker? Aside from the fact that he's dead, I have no idea, old chap. I took the liberty of impersonating him, or rather his ghost, temporarily. You shot Alfie. Certainly. He was about to shoot me. But he is not quite dead, unfortunately. And now, Watson, old chap, I think it's about time we turn this unsavory little gathering over to the police. Watson, it's rather pleasant to be back in Baker Street. It's been a tiring day. <laughs> you know, Holmes, the way you imitated stuttering Steve Hacker was, was amazing. Well, thanks awfully, old chap. Oh, not at all. Right? You, you had them completely fooled. Of course, I saw the whole thing immediately. Oh, of course. <laughs> You're very clever, though. You shot Alfie and then faked your own wounded groans. Yes. Amazing, whatever. It was remarkably effective. <laughs> and Alfie's subsequent confession confirmed my suspicions. Hacker, ill and afraid of dying, talked with Alfie during his recent stay in Dartmoor and told him to find the booty and share it with Hacker's wife. But Alfie, as soon as he was released from prison and thinking Hacker dead, decided to get it all for himself and his accomplices. <laughs> as pretty a tangle of criminality as I ever ran into. Perhaps your return to practice won't be as dull as you think. Come in. Excuse me, Mr. Rose, but about the Dog? Dog? What dog? The nice, sweet fellow the lady brought this afternoon. He's still downstairs. I gave him a bath and a nice big beef bone. Now, what do you want me to do with him? Hmm. An intriguing problem. Let me see now. He's been cooped up a long time. Oh, here it comes. I think it would be an excellent idea if Dr. Watson took him for a nice walk. Uh, nice walk, but uh, Holmes, I'm very tired. I don't oh, come, Watson. Remember, he's quite a remarkable animal. Remarkable. He wrote a letter. He convinced you that he was royalty and then undoubtedly saved your life. I think you owe him a little consideration, don't you? Well, of course, if you put it that way, I suppose we've got to... That's how you acquired this little dog collar, eh, Dr. Well, that's right, Mr. Bell. I had that wretched little animal on my hands till it died of old age. I got quite fond of it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I see. And what story are you going to tell us next week, Dr. Watson? Well, now, next week, I think I'll tell you a story I call The Adventure of Black Angus. I always think it was one of the most gruesome and macabre experiences that Sherlock Holmes and I ever encountered. <laughs> Look who's here, if it isn't Janie. Do you look gorgeous tonight? And your hair, it's lovely. <laughs> it should be, Joe, because I always wash it with cremel shampoo. I learned that beauty trick long ago from those stunning powers models. Yes, cremel shampoo is famous. It leaves hair sparkling for days with natural glossy highlight. What's more, cremel shampoo is a hard water shampoo. It whips up just gobs of lather in every type of water. 
Its fine, rich foam penetrates right to the scalp and removes all loose dandruff as well as the dirt. Why, it even has a beneficial oil base which helps keep hair from becoming dry. We're all using Kremel shampoo at our house. I'd suggest you take a tip from my wife and buy the large family size. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Noble Bachelor. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures and Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time when Dr. Watson will tell us The Adventure of Black Angus. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. And that's The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce in The Adventures of the Stuttering Ghost from October 12, 1946, as heard on ABC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding Classic Radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 Classic Radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another adventure episode of Sherlock Holmes for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, it's a story based on the Sussex vampire concerning werewolves on the wild moors in Scotland and the strange happenings in McKinnon Castle. Here's the adventure of the Black Angus and the adventures of Sherlock Holmes from 1946. Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Once again, it's time to renew our weekly visits with that genial host and incomparable storyteller, Dr. Watson. And here he is waiting for us in his comfortable and familiar study. Hello, Dr. Watson. It's mighty good to see you again. Good evening, Mr. Bell. Good evening. You're punctual to the minute, as usual. This is one doctor's appointment I'll never be late for. That's very nice of you to say so, my boy. Draw up your usual chair and settle down. That's it. Fire in the grate, the lights turned low and a wind howling outside. 
It's a perfect setting for a Sherlock Holmes adventure. Which one is it going to be? Well, tonight I thought I'd tell you a most weird and macabre story. Concerns werewolves on the wild moors of Scotland and the strange happenings that took place in McKinnon Castle. Dear, dear, werewolves and haunted castles. My hair's beginning to stand on end already. Please get on with the story, Dr. In Watson. due time, Mr. Bell, but first, haven't you a little uh, business with our listeners? Business that also has to do with the hair? Business? <laughs> oh, no, Dr. Watson, this isn't business. It's a pleasure. But thanks for the reminder. And I know you men will thank me again and again for this hot tip. Try Kreml hair tonic. Just notice how Kreml makes stubborn hair so much easier to comb. How your hair falls in place just where you want it and stays that way all day long. Now, be honest, men. Did your hair ever look better? You see, Kreml gives even dull, lifeless-looking hair a rich, attractive luster. It makes hair look so handsome and alive. Yet Kreml never glues hair down. It never leaves it looking or feeling greasy or dirty. Just try Kreml hair tonic once, and you'll readily see why it's such a nationwide favorite. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the werewolves? Well, Mr. Bell, the adventure began innocently enough on a slate-gray November afternoon in Baker Street, just before the turn of the century. Holmes and I were seated comfortably on either side of a crackling fire when shortly before tea time, there was a jangle on our doorbell, and a few minutes later, a young girl, whom Mrs. Hudson announced as Miss Victor, was standing before us. A young girl dressed in a wedding gown. She was in a great state of excitement, in fact, almost hysterical. Mr. Holmes, you must help me. There's no one else to whom I can turn. I, there, I don't know what there, to do. There, there, my dear. Compose yourself. <laughs> if you will just tell us the facts, Miss Victor. Well, at three o'clock this afternoon, I was to have been married to David McKinnon. Any relation to the Ayrshire McKinnons? The son and heir to the estate, Mr. Holmes. Oh, really? I think I met one of the family in a shooting party a few years ago. I remember distinctly... Some other time, what... Watson, please. Oh. Miss Victor's problem is immediate. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh. You say uh, you were to have been married, Miss Victor. <laughs> What occurred to prevent the ceremony? David just... just didn't appear. Oh, it was dreadful, Mr. Holmes. I waited and waited, and finally I knew he wasn't coming. You've had no word from him since? No, none. I went to his hotel as soon as I left the church. And what did you discover? That... that he'd received a visit from an elderly Scotsman this morning. And the porter said that immediately afterward they left together in a cab for St. Pancras Station. St. Pancras? Undoubtedly their destination was Scotland, Holmes. Quite. Oh, Mr. Holmes, you must find David for me. I know he's been kidnapped. Miss Victor, a man who is being kidnapped does not walk out of a hotel in broad daylight and order a cab. Well, something's happened to him. He wouldn't do a thing like this of his own volition. Are you quite sure that you didn't have some lover's quarrel, some little tiff in the last few days that might have made your fiancé uh, change his mind? Of course I'm sure, Dr. Watson. We've never had any misunderstanding. Only something dreadful could have made him leave. I shall do everything in my power to find out what it was, Miss Victor. Oh, thank you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, Watson, get me the railway guide. Oh, uh, yeah, it's on the table beside you. I knew you would help me. I only hope we'll be successful. Ah. Now, Watson, if you'll pack a couple of bags and meet me at the station at 9.15 in time for the Scottish Express, I have a few simple inquiries to make. What, what, what kept 
kept you so long, Holmes. We almost missed the train. You're shockingly out of condition, Watson. Oh, well. A little sprint like that shouldn't leave you so winded. Well, never mind about my condition. Where have you been for the last four hours? Delving into the back issue files of the Times. Very instructive. You should try it sometime. Rubbish. There's nothing duller than yesterday's news. I doubt that you'd call the legend of the McKinnon family dull, Watson. On the contrary. Oh, so that's what you've been looking up. Yes. It's a history that goes back several hundred years of brawling and bloodshed. The founder of the clan was a 14th century Scottish warrior by the name of Wolfhound McKinnon. He's reputed to have been so incredibly vicious in battle that his enemies accused him of being a werewolf. A, a vampire? Oh, come now, Holmes. I'm merely repeating a 500-year-old legend. The point is that the present head of the clan, the father of the disappearing fiancé today, is known as Black Angus. He's a dominant, thoroughly hated man whose local reputation is as frightening in our day and age as his predecessors was five centuries ago. Oh, very interesting, Holmes, but I don't see why you should get so excited over a 500-year-old legend. Well, you see, Watson, I found another rather curious fact in the papers. Oh, what was that? Several times during the last few months, sheepdogs have been found dead in the vicinity of McKinnon Castle with their throats torn out. Good heavens! Thomas, you've lived in this village a good many years, I expect. All my life, sir. And this inn was my father's before me. We're interested in some of the local beauty spots, particularly McKinnon Castle. McKinnon Castle is no beauty spot, sir. Oh, really? Devil's Castle, we call it. There isn't a one of us in the village that wouldn't have been glad to see the ground open up and swallow the place. I and every McKinnon who lives there. Gracious me. Why are the McKinnons so hated, Thomas? There are no men... They're monsters. And McKinnon thinks that because he owns the land, he owns the air among breathes, too. And Black Angus is the biggest, blackest devil of them all. Black Angus? You mean the present laird? Aye. And if he keeps up with his devil's work, he'll be the dead laird before long. Dear me, how bloodthirsty. What's been going on, Thomas? It's the sheepdog, sir. Hereabouts, a man's sheepdog is his living. And yet six more have been killed in the past two weeks. And all of the poor wee beasties lying there on the moors with their throats torn out. How can you blame McKinnon for that? Surely some animal... Aye, been... sir, aye. An animal that stands on two feet. What are you suggesting, Thomas? I'm suggesting nothing, sir. Except those dead dogs all had human teeth marks on their throats. You insinuating that uh, Black Angus is, is a vampire? Oh, now, now, now. Really, my dear fellow. Ah, we've seen him at night, when the moon was high, galloping across the moors on his big black horse. And the next morning, there's always been a dead sheepdog. You've seen him yourself? Well, well, no, sir. But there are those that have. There's no mistaking him with his big coat flapping and his hat pulled down over his eyes. What an extraordinary business. Interesting, very interesting. Do you see that gentleman that just came in, sitting by himself in the corner there, sir? The man in the grey overcoat? Aye. His name's Humphreys. He can tell you more about the McKinnons than I can. He's a cousin of the family. And even though he's related and lives at the castle, 
He's as nice a gentleman as you'd meet up with. Thank you for the information, Damas. I think perhaps we'll go and have a chat with him. Come on, Watson. All right, Charles. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Glad to be of service, gentlemen. Excuse me, Mr. Humphreys. Aye. May we take the liberty of introducing ourselves? I'm Sherlock Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. Uh, how do you do, oh, Mr. How Humphreys? Do you do? Did you, oh, won't you uh, sit down? Thank you. Thomas tells me you are a cousin of the McKinnon family. I am. Uh, do you know them? We're particularly interested in one of them, Mr. Humphreys. Yes, in David McKinnon. Ah, David's a very fine boy. You knew he was to have been married in London yesterday? Aye, I knew that. Did you also know that just before his wedding, he suddenly disappeared, Mr. Humphreys? Uh, gentlemen, may I ask the uh, reason for your interest in young David? That's a very fair question, sir. I have been asked by Miss Victor, David's fiancée, to try and find the young man. Oh, I see. It's a very unfortunate business. Mr. Humphreys, shortly before the wedding yesterday, David McKinnon had a visitor in his hotel. They left together, presumably to catch the express for Scotland. And poor Miss Victor was left stranded at the church. The little thing was, was heartbroken. Well, she would be. Uh, uh, Mr. Holmes, uh, I wish I could help you in some way, but... Uh... You can, Mr. Humphreys. How? By telling us what message you delivered to David at his hotel yesterday. But I... Oh, come now, Mr. Humphreys. The man seen to be leaving the hotel with David was wearing a grey raglan coat, such as you are wearing. In addition, I observed as we sat down that you're reading yesterday's edition of the London Times. Even if you subscribed to it, it couldn't have reached you here in Scotland through the post this speedily. Amazing, home. Elementary, isn't it, Mr. Humphreys? Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but... Uh... Your deduction is correct. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I did return with David from London yesterday. What was the message you were sent to give him, may I ask? The message that decided him not to go through with his marriage? I'm afraid I can't answer that question, Mr. Holmes. Uh, though I may tell you, it's a family secret of the gravest importance. Hmm. Well, in that case, our only recourse is to go to McKinnon Castle and pursue our inquiries there. Well, I imagine that would be best, gentlemen, but uh, frankly, I doubt if you'll gain admittance. Angus is a willful man with a terrible temper, and when he knows you want to see David... We've he... handled terrible men before, haven't we, Watson? Yes, indeed. I remember that afternoon in Baker Street when Dr. Grimsby Royalt picked up the poker and was Yes, about Watson. To... You can regale Mr. Humphreys with that some other oh, time. Oh. But now I think we'd best be starting for the castle. Uh, uh, Mr. Holmes, if by any chance you do see Angus, I must ask you not to mention that you've talked to me. I, if he finds out, there might be trouble. All right, Mr. Humphreys. Come along, Watson. I wish they'd put some springs in this vehicle. It's worse than an Irish jaunting car. <laughs> if Thomas's directions are to be believed, we should see the castle when we get to the crest of this hill. This Black Angus seems to be quite a lovable character. Even Humphreys, his, his cousin, seems to be terrified of him. Man was positively shaking. Yes, I noticed that. Ah, that must be the castle now. Hi, George. Forbidding-looking place, isn't it? Yes. Watson. Rain in your horse. Perfect, perfect, perfect. What is it, Holmes? Look, lying by the side of the road. Just a dead dog. Yes, a dead sheep dog. Come on. Uh, 
dog's throat has been torn out. Yes. And look here, Watson. Look at these marks on the throat. Good heavens, Holmes. They look like they are the marks of human teeth. Gentlemen, is the lad at home? I'm sorry, sir, but the lad will not see people we have an appointment. Uh, then will you please give him a message? But the tool. Tell him that Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson have come here from London to see him. Yes, my good man, and, and tell him it's on a very important and confidential business. If you'll wait here in the hall, I'll give him the message, gentlemen. But he'll not see you. He'll not see you. Stupid old ass. Anyone think he owned the castle? Watson, have a look at these two portraits. <laughs> a couple of grim-looking characters. Give me the creeps. I think we may reasonably assume they're McKinnon ancestors. Do you notice something odd about them? Well, the men are smiling. If you call that smiling, looks more like leering to me. <laughs> Whatever it is, it shows their teeth. Notice the abnormal length of the eye teeth? Oh, sure, yes. And the teeth marks on the dead sheep dog. Quite. Who he is. Black Angus seems to be living up to his name. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but the laird will not see you. He asks that you please leave at once. That's a bit of an understatement. You may tell him we're not leaving here until we've seen Mr. David McKinnon. I'm sorry, Just sir. Just a moment. The... I'm David McKinnon. You are splendid. We've come here on behalf of... I know why you're here, gentlemen. I must ask that you leave at once. But, Miss Victor, your fiancé... After all, you know gentlemen, you... Gentlemen, you heard my father's message. Please go. As for Miss Victor, I have no interest in hearing anything concerning her. Good day. Come, Watson. I think perhaps our visit was ill-timed. This way, please, gentlemen. Let's get away from here. Unprincipled young cadder, David. I'd like to give him a good thrashing. It might be interesting to talk to David McKinnon when he's away from the influence of Black Angus. Oh, you're wasting your time, Holmes. A man's a bounder. Besides, they'll never let us in the house again. Try the front door, true. However, we can still try the back. Leave your hat and coat in the bushes here, old chap. Rumple up your hair, dirty your face, and adopt that delightful Scottish dialect of yours. For the moment, we will be plumbers. Plumbers? Well, how do we know they need plumbers? In an old castle like this, you can always be sure of one fact... Something must inevitably be wrong with the drains. They always need plumbers. Holmes, do you think it's safe? I mean, if Black Angus discovers us, he may be dangerous. I'm afraid that's a chance we'll have to take. Come along, Watson, and try to look as much like a plumber as possible. In just a moment, Dr. Watson will continue the story of Black Angus. But first, here's something which should certainly interest you men about Kreml hair tonic. Kreml is one of the greatest improvements ever made in the history of hair tonics. It's been especially developed to keep dry, unruly hair in perfect order all day long, always looking its best with a nice, rich luster. Yet Kreml never gives hair that objectionable, greasy, patent leather look. That kind of hair went out of style with handlebar mustaches. No, Kreml goes in for modern, handsome hair grooming. And it does lots more than just keep hair looking handsome. Kreml removes dandruff flakes. It also promptly relieves itching of dry scalp and leaves the scalp feeling so clean and alive. 
May I suggest that tomorrow, when you're out for your Sunday walk or drive, you stop and buy a bottle of Kreml at any drug counter. It's spelled K-R-E-M-L, Kreml Hair Tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, did you and Sherlock Holmes manage to get into McKinnon Castle disguised as plumber? We did, Mr. Bell. Holmes is right about the drains. We were welcomed at the service entrance with open arms, figuratively speaking. Of course, we, we were shown down to the basement and left to our own devices. As soon as the coast was clear, I found myself following Sherlock Holmes as he stealthily mounted an, an old stone stairway. I must confess that my heart was in my mouth. This stairway should lead us up to the east wing, I'd say. By the way, Watson, you make a most convincing plumber. Oh, really? Oh, that's rather good at charge, you know. <laughs> Quiet, Watson. There's a light under that door. The door's slightly ajar. Come here, Watson. We can see through the crack. There's a man seated in front of the dressing table, staring into the mirror. Candlelight's flickering, but I'll give you odds that's black and... Oh, it's like this, Holmes. I don't like it. He may... Holmes, he's got a revolver. He's raising it. Angus McKinnon, put down that revolver. Who the devil are you? My name is Sherlock Holmes. I told Bruce to throw you out. This time I'll do it myself, you prying... Mr. McKinnon, I know what you were thinking when you raised that revolver to your temple just now. And believe me, you're wrong. You can't possibly know. I think I do. You are convinced that you have been killing these sheepdogs. You have been so preoccupied with the legends of your great ancestor, Wolfhound McKinnon, that you think that your brain has snapped and that you've turned into a vampire. Right, Mr. Holmes. But how you found out is beyond me. You know about the dogs? The sheep dogs with their throats torn out? Yes, we know about them. In fact, we found one as we were driving out about a mile from here. I know. They brought me the news not more than two hours ago. It won't happen again. You're convinced that you are responsible for these killings? What else can I think? All the evidence. The blood stains on my cloak. And I know those stains are not caused by human blood. You remember Nothing. Nothing. But when I think of the heritage of the McKinnons, how can I doubt? Then that's the reason your son was recalled from London yesterday. It is. You suddenly had proof of what you thought to be your own morbid tendencies. And so you sent a message to your only son, warning him that he must not allow the woman he loved to marry into a family stained with madness. Holmes, you seem to understand my problem. But I will not discuss it with you. Go away, both of you. McKinnon cannot go to his maker before strangers. Mr. McKinnon, give me your help in a few hours, Grace, and I'm convinced I can prove to you that you're the victim of a devilish plot. A plot? I don't understand. Oh, come now, Mr. McKinnon. In this year of Grace, it's a little hard to believe in vampires. But how can you disprove the evidence I've seen with my own eyes? The human teeth marks. It wouldn't be hard to conceive of an instrument that could simulate those marks, Mr. McKinnon. But who could think of such a fiendish plan? And what would be the motive? I have a suspicion. But what's more important at the immediate moment is to find the evidence. An instrument such as I've suggested would be damning proof. Therefore, it would be hidden in the most obscure hiding place in the castle. Now, what would be the most secret place? The cellars? Aye, we have extensive cellars. We'll search them. But another possibility occurs to me. In castles as old as this, there's often a secret room. Or, as they were sometimes called, a priest's hole. You're quite right, Mr. Holmes. We have such a hiding place here, though I haven't been in it for years. A narrow stairway leads down between the walls from an entrance behind that big cabinet. Splendid, Mr. McKinnon. You have a lantern? There, on the dressing table. I'll light it, Holmes. Thank you, Watson. 
I have a strong suspicion that the solution of the postponed wedding ceremony, as well as that of the mangled dogs, lies at the foot of that secret stairway. Stuffy little place, festooned with cobwebs. Oh dear, oh dear. Just walked into another one. Nobody's been down here recently, Holmes, I'd swear to that. Give me the lantern, Watson, will you? Uh, there you are, fellow. Thanks. Uh-huh. Look here in the dust on the floor. Footprints. Footprints leading to that old chest in the, in the corner over there. Yes. Doesn't seem to be locked. Look, Mr. McKinnon. See this devil's instrument? Oh, what is it? It looks like a metal trap. It is, with jaws of steel and a powerful spring. Oh, good heavens! And you can see the recent bloodstains on it. This fiendish instrument gives us the answer to those poor dead dogs. You mean that this was used to tear up their throats? Undoubtedly. And look, more devil's work. Great Scott, a human jawbone with the teeth intact. This must have been used to leave the prints of human teeth after the animals were dead. I'm going to try and make me think that I was mad. The devils! Somebody shot, the, somebody shot the lantern out of my hand. You're too inquisitive, Sherlock Holmes. Humphreys. Yes, Angus, your cousin, Humphreys. We've found you out, Humphreys. I know what you and your meddling friends have found out, Angus. Thoughtful of you to put yourselves in my power. A priest dungeon will make a perfect coffin for the three of you. I'm going to lock and bolt this door at the head of the stairs. It's your only escape. I'm afraid death by suffocation and starvation won't be very pleasant, my friends. Humphreys, I'm coming back up those stairs. And when I get my hands One on you... Your step, Angus, and I fire... Your devil, Humphreys! I warned you! Oh! Watson, where are you? I'm here, by the children. How is he? I'm all right, Holmes. I think the shot just grazed me. I'll strike a match. Yes. Just a flesh wound, as far as I can see. Good. McKinnon, is there another exit from this room? There is, Mr. Holmes. Under that chest, the stone slides out. Gracious me, but Humphreys said... Humphreys that... knows nothing about it. Some secrets of the McKinnon family are only interested to those bearing the family name. Thank heaven for that. And I'd suggest we get out of here as soon as possible. The air in here is getting stale already. Lean on me, Mr. McKinnon. That's it. How are you feeling? A little shaky, but I'm all right, Mr. Holmes. We're in places, are we? We've been following this little passage up and down, round and round. Right now, we're behind the wall of the library. The entrance is ahead of us, concealed by a tapestry. Shh! There's a faint crack of light. We're behind the tapestry. And someone's in the library. Oh, boy, I don't know how to say this. It's Humphreys. And my son, David. Shh! Listen. I was worried about those men from London. Sherlock Holmes should learn of the shame of the McKinnon. David, I'm afraid I've got shocking news for you. Your father has confessed that he has been killing the sheepdogs. Father. He knows that he's mad. He, he left the castle just now with a pistol. He plans to kill himself. Kill himself? We must stop him. No, 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 my boy. Let him go. It's the best way. Oh, poor father. 
What can I do? There's only one honorable solution, David. Your branch of the family is corrupt, decayed. If your father dies and you disappear, the estate reverts to me, and we can save the McKinnon name with fresh blood. But, Uncle... You it's... can go to the colonies and start life over with a new name. It's the only way. We've heard enough. Come on. Humphreys, you lying devil father. They said that Drop you... that revolver, Humphreys. Drop it or I'll shoot. We overheard your conversation, Mr. Humphreys. Most enlightening. And we found this where you headed, you filthy beast. A human jawbone. You'd marked the dogs with it and tried to make me think that I'd done it with son. Then what he told me in London was nothing but a pack of lies. Of course. Mr. McKinnon, I suggest you send for the police. The police? What crime can they hold me for? A few sheepdogs killed and they can't prove I was responsible. There's... There's a, there's a mob of people outside the window. Mr. McKinnon, sir, excuse me. What is it, Bruce? It's a crowd of the villagers. They're in an ugly mood. They say you're responsible for the sheepdogs being killed on the moors. They're threatening to burn the castle. I'm afraid they're getting out of hand. Go back and tell them that in a few minutes I'll come out and explain the killings. Aye, sir, aye. But in a way too long. I'll go and talk to them, Father. They know me. Mr. Humphreys, possibly the law can do little to you. But the violence of mob rule may prove strikingly effective. Aye, I'll take this blackguard Humphreys out there. They'll know what to do with him. No, 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 you can't do that. You've got to keep me away from them. They tear me to pieces. Sign a written confession, Mr. Humphreys, and we'll protect you. I'll sign anything. Just keep me away from that mob. You suggested that my boy should go to the colonies. Put it in writing that you'll do just that yourself. Give me a pen. Here you are. And now, Watson, I think we still have time to catch the night express for London. I hope we'll have no difficulty in obtaining three tickets on such short notice. Three tickets? Of course. I'm certain young David McKinnon will accompany us. I fancy we may be attending a wedding within a very few days. And did you, Dr. Watson? Did I... did I what? Attend the wedding. <laughs> Indeed we did, Mr. Bell. As a matter of fact, Holmes acted as best man. It was a very charming affair. <laughs> I'm sure it was. And now, Dr. Watson, what about next week? Well, now, let me see. What shall I tell you? Next week, I think I'll tell you a story called The Adventure of the Hungry Cat, in which Sherlock Holmes saves an innocent man from the gallows and brings to justice a particularly vicious and cold-blooded murderer. Now, here's something which should interest you ladies. My wife has beautiful, natural highlights in her hair. And girls, I'll let you in on the secret of how she does it. I always wash my hair with cremel shampoo. It leaves my hair with a natural, glossy luster that lasts for days and days. Cremel shampoo actually brings out all the natural, glossy highlights that lie concealed in the hair. In addition, it has a beneficial oil base that helps keep hair from becoming dry or brittle. This famous hard water shampoo works like magic in every type of water. And girls, you'll love the way its rich, luxurious foam penetrates right to the scalp and removes all loose dandruff flakes as well as the dirt. Don't forget, Cremel Shampoo is the same beautifying shampoo which those famous million-dollar Powers models use. So why not glamour bathe your hair with beautifying Cremel Shampoo? 
tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Sussex Vampire. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures and Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time when Dr. Watson will tell us about the adventure of the hungry cat. is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. And that's The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, with The Adventure of the Black Angus, starring Tom Conway as Holmes, with Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson, from October 19, 1946. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 23 of the Classic Radio Theater, after this short break. Next time on episode 23 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune into our next show. Thanks for listening.